Hello, and welcome to Season 2 of If Women Were Meant to Fly, The Sky Would Be Pink. Episode 9, When Things Go Wrong. I'm Enid O'Toon. In this episode, the King Air becomes my home as I ramp up the hours. More incidents help to shape my command experience, and I keep learning good lessons. The call came in at 6am one Saturday morning. An urgent flight booking had come in with an 0900 departure request. This was becoming the norm on the charter front, so I was always ready to depart with a packed bag which should sustain me for a week or so. I'm still an expert at this to this day, combining a capsule wardrobe with a few essentials in the smallest of travel bags is something I pride myself on and something that aggravates my family no end. The company was sending a car to pick me up right away. Even though I lived on the mainland, it could take over an hour to get to the airport, even on a Saturday, because the traffic was crazy. The same was done for my first officer. It looked like a straightforward flight to Joss in the north of the country, and then back to Abuja to night stop, with a return to Lagos on the Sunday. Since I did most of the aircraft preparation myself, I had to allow more time for the catering to be on board. The engineers, who had no doubt been woken up themselves, would tow the aircraft out of the hangar and have the aircraft washed and fuelled according to standard procedure. My driver made it to my house in just under 40 minutes and, with a quick turnaround, we were on our way back to the airport. Sure enough, the aircraft had been washed and was awaiting the fuel figures from me. I instructed full main tanks and full auxiliary tanks as we had only two passengers on board. Aviation fuel for these aircraft, known as Jet A1, could be very scarce at any time. We had, as a country, been experiencing fuel shortages across the nation, whether it be for cars, aircraft or anything that needed petrol to move. Sometimes, flights were cancelled or delayed while the frantic search for deliveries took place. Flight planning had to be comprehensive, as fuel was not always available at your destination whereupon you had to divert to a different airport in the hope of finding supplies. As we worked principally for Shell Oil, they made sure that we were at the top of the list. The problem was essentially down to the refinery output. Nigeria, for its size and oil-producing capability, had three refineries. At any given time, we were lucky all of them were operating at capacity for both domestic and international consumption. More often than not, though, they were not anywhere near capacity, and in some cases were shut down with possibly only one refinery in operation at any one time. Mismanagement of finances and corruption on a grand scale were key factors. When things got really bad, refined petroleum products had to be brought in from overseas. Imagine an oil-producing country with three domestic refineries having to import shiploads of refined petroleum products. Corruption had a lot to answer for. For our vehicles, 
We had to wait in long queues at petrol stations, sometimes for several days, with fights intermittently breaking out as tempers flared and people tired of the hardships imposed on them by a corrupt and unstable system of governance. Sometimes, we would have to resort to fuel being distributed in 200-litre drums from Shell just to keep us flying, and it was the same down route at our regular stops. Other times, we would have to fly to other countries, like the Republic of Benin and Cameroon, just to fill up our tanks. Looking back on those days, it seems surreal to think that we had to cope with all of those extra elements in addition to an already highly stressful job. It proved to be an excellent training, though. A sort of expect-the-unexpected-and-stay-one-step-ahead attitude. It was brutal and annoying at times, but it did prepare me for virtually anything. With the aircraft fuelled, the passengers in the lounge, catering on board and flight plans filed, we were ready to go. It was quiet that morning and we received our taxi clearance just after engine start with no delays. Just prior to the runway 19 left holding point was a run-up area where we routinely ran up the engines for engine checks. This morning I seemed to have sluggish gauges so I took the extra precaution and did a full engine check. Usually we did those first thing in the morning, once a day. With the checks completed satisfactorily and the pre-takeoff checks and briefings also completed, I briefed my passengers on the flight time to Jos and the weather en route. Smooth conditions today and a cruising altitude of 33,000 feet. Takeoff was routine and, as the gear retracted, I turned right to establish course for Jos. On course and passing through 9,000 feet, we were alerted to a battery problem by the master caution warning lights flashing and the subsequent battery charge enunciator light. Usually this light will go out on the ground once the engines are started and the battery approached full charge. This may sometimes take a little more time to extinguish if the battery has a low state of charge. If it illuminates in flight, conditions may exist that may damage the battery or result in a battery overheat situation. Following procedure, I switched the battery off, expecting the light to extinguish. However, when it didn't, it was time to carry out certain checks to find out the integrity of the battery. The battery in this aircraft is located in the right wing centre section, just forward of the main spar. Having a battery overheat and catch fire was not a position you wanted to be in. Some pilots used to joke that in the King Air, a battery overheat was usually followed by the skin on the wing route being red hot and Then, if you were extremely unlucky, your wing parted company with the rest of the aircraft. These images and words of warning flashed through my mind as I tried to get to the bottom of this latest mechanical conundrum. I was more than happy to avoid a dire scenario, and knowing the unofficial advice and quirks for the King Air, I elected to return to Lagos, not knowing what the battery was actually doing. We completed the checklists and advised air traffic control of our intentions. I contacted our maintenance department on a separate frequency and advised them to be ready to receive the aircraft and gave them a brief overview of the problem. Explaining to the passengers that we were returning as a precaution was always more beneficial than giving them all the details. One very short flight later and we were again in a hangar. I was always keen to see the maintenance side of things with my aircraft, so I hung around whilst they tried to diagnose the problem. 
My senior engineer called to me and asked me to place my hand just above the aircraft's skin where the battery resided. It was as I had suspected. Hot, hot, hot. Needless to say, that expediting our return was the safest option at the time. We were delayed eventually by three hours whilst the engineers replaced the battery and checked the systems. Two ground runs later and we were cleared to go. Once again, we repeated the earlier flight, only this time we made it all the way to Joss without incident. Even though we were late, we were now able to drop off one passenger and continue to Abuja with the other for a night stop. In theory, places like Joss were underused as airports and as such it was relatively easy to get your flight plan filed and get underway. However, this was not to be our day as it took an interminable amount of time to get the flight plan to be where it needed to be due to the failure of the lift which would take the human being bearing a copy of our flight plan to the air traffic controller in the tower. Lift failure often meant that the poor hapless individual had to deliver the flight plan by walking up the myriad of stairs instead. Given the number of power failures and damage to electrical equipment that there was nationwide, you would think that the courier of said flight plan would be a fit man or woman. Well, you would be wrong. The job would often fall to an unfit person who had spent a lifetime sitting on a stool and who was so discombobulated with the fact that a woman had just filed a flight plan for an airplane, which must mean she was a pilot because she was wearing the uniform, but, oh no, that couldn't possibly be the case, because how can a woman do this? No, it is not true. I will call him sir and tell him that for a man, he looks like a woman. Stay with me. This actually happened. So, after having stared at me for 20 minutes... A further discussion has to be had with her hapless colleagues, who have by now choked on whatever it is that they're always eating in that office, before she even contemplates leaving said office to hand-deliver said flight plan. Another 40 minutes elapses, by which time I've been sitting waiting for my start clearance in the sweltering heat, before the air traffic controller takes pity on me and allows an engine start to get some cool air circulating in the cabin, before my passenger expires from heat stroke. With the engines running and the air conditioning on, we have recovered our composure and are ready to leave Joss behind. With no traffic, we are cleared directly to the runway and given a departure clearance. This means no waiting, and so we cover as much of the checklist as possible during taxi because it didn't happen very often. We were always excited to get what we called a rolling takeoff straight from the taxi phase, but As I would later regret, this can sometimes lead to mistakes when you hurry everything along. We got airborne and set course for Abuja, which was only 40 minutes away. Autopilot on and it would be a rapid climb to 16,000 feet. Passing 10,000 feet, my first officer noticed that the cabin was not climbing as it should be. Aircraft pressurisation is a system that ensures the comfort and safety of crew and passengers by controlling the cabin pressure and the exchange of air from the inside of the aircraft to the outside. In practice, as the aircraft climbs, the pressurisation system will gradually increase the cabin altitude, and will maintain it at or below 8,000 feet. We had a number of instruments to monitor the system, including a cabin altimeter and rate of climb gauge. As I looked over at the gauge, it was still just above sea level. Somewhere in the checklist, we had missed setting the cabin. In this case, I was able to stop climbing and wait for the cabin to catch up, 
But it did drive home to me two things. One, never hurry, no matter what. Stick to the procedure and always cross-check vital things. And two, keep encouraging your crew members to call out anything they see that is concerning. There's nothing quite like a crew that communicates and works together like a well-oiled machine. Couple that with good airmanship, and with any luck, you will catch anything that has slipped through the net. Thank you for listening. As always, your reviews and comments are very much appreciated. Thank you to Lucy Ashby for the editing of this episode. If you would like to ask a question or make a comment, please do so on our social media sites. We're on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or send us an email. Our email address is theskyispinkpilot at gmail.com Or you can visit our website www skyispink.co.uk In the next episode, I have another horrible few weeks as I battle more weather and aircraft technical issues, I have an argument with two storm cells, and I learn a valuable lesson when dealing with an attempted armed robbery. Thank you, and goodbye.